Hey, hey! Welcome to the Vision of the People podcast. I'm your host, Rushi, like sushi with an R. We venture into stories ranging from incredible founders to creative artists who have achieved great success and those just starting their journeys. Each passion-filled episode features advice on topics ranging from startups to the cosmos. And here we go. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Vision of the People podcast. Today, I have someone very special, um, our first female guest on the show. Jesse Janae uh, is the CEO and co-founder of Lumi. Um, they just raised around $10 million mm-hmm. as well very recently. And they provide packaging and shipping supplies to online brands from small businesses to leading companies shipping millions of orders per month. At 16, Janae started her first company, printing t-shirts in her parents' basement. Mm -hmm. Before founding Lumi.com, she spearheaded her first brand, Inko Dye, a sunlight-activated fabric dye that sold in retail stores around the world. At 29, Janae had raised more than a quarter million dollars on Kickstarter with just a goal of $50,000. That's pretty impressive. She also pitched on Shark Tank and participated in the famous Y Combinator. So, someone very special. She studied industrial design at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. Jesse, thanks so much for having me. I'm really really excited to be here. Thanks for having me as well. So, let's dive in. Um, First of all, what a colorful journey you've had, um, to (laughs) say the least. (laughs) From Shark Tank to Y Combinator, can you walk me through the inception of Lumi? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Something that is uh, not immediately apparent when people look from the outside is that there's actually... I called two different companies Lumi. <laughs> so the, fir- the first time around, the, the what you're mentioning with the Kickstarters and Shark Tank, um, and I, I created a product mm-hmm. that was like a fabric dye, a photographic fabric dye that had its application in like the DIY craft space and took it to market and, and you know, did these Kickstarters, pushed it out into the market, was selling it directly online as well, um, took it to retail, learned a ton, ended up going on Shark Tank. Um, through that experience, something that I learned was how hard it was to launch a product in general, not just from a business perspective, but like physically hard, like physically hard to figure out how to package, um, how to handle supply chain. Um, and I found a lot of entrepreneurs I knew were going through the similar struggles where the types of people who know what like what kind of product they want to launch or have a product idea are not always the same type of people who know everything about supply chain for instance um and so that gave me the idea and my co-founder had the idea to launch like Lumi 2.0 so to speak um and we uh, retired the first product entirely and really started a whole new company and that's when we go to Y Combinator um, and we start kind of starting this the version of Lumi where we make packaging it's really more of a tech company as well I like it so yeah. what a what a journey right yes, I mean yes. you're going from something very typical um, mm-hmm. transitioning from product to a company yeah which is really impressive yeah um so it was said in a in a fast company article about you that one of the things that you discovered in the process uh, is that small businesses struggle with the process of buying branded mailing supplies. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the packaging industry, yeah. um, where it's been, and why you're unique. Yeah. So the packaging industry um, is similar to a lot of old school industries where 
they grew regionally. Um, they're, the, the, the packaging industry is dominated by uh, patchwork of like some really big multi-billion dollar players um, and also patchwork quilts of kind of regional players. And, and they all kind of specialize because there's so many different types of packaging. Um, each company ends up specializing a bit. Even the biggest ones often don't have a full breadth of packaging. So that means that an e-commerce company will need to work with, I mean, the average e-commerce company we run into might even be working with like a dozen vendors um, just to get their packaging. And it's pretty wild because let's uh, use like an anecdote of like a swimwear company. Um, their swimwear might be manufactured by one private label manufacturer that they found that they love working with to develop the swimwear, and then they're working with 10 vendors to make the packaging. It's, it means that their supply chain for their boxes and stuff is more complicated than the supply chain for their product, and you can imagine what that does to their internal focus. Like a company of 10 people, if they have one person doing supply chain, it means that 90% of their time ish is spent on packaging instead of product but what do you think makes them more unique their product or their packaging um packaging is a great chance to stand out but you shouldn't have someone on your team like you know slaving over it so i think those are some of the challenges that young companies deal with um amongst other things like not being able to get access to good pricing not literally knowing what to use so i mean we've seen people and companies waste months if not like an almost entire year in the early phase of their company just searching for like what to use well that's like very distracting as well i mean that's so so i think young companies suffer from a, a variety of maladies and we're um trying to use the platform and the online experience to solve that i think all the points that you just said we hit um because mm-hmm. when i was doing my hardware startup yeah. lono drop uh, we were focusing on the product, and then when it time came, when people were putting in the orders, you were like, "Oh, we were I like, need to ship this thing." Yeah, it's like we got the the shadiest plastic boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were printing out stuff from printers, cutting it. We mm-hmm. ordered stickers, and I'm like, "Where were you guys yeah. when we had that?" <laughs> Sorry, well, <laughs> need to go back in time and yeah, start, start sooner. We need a time machine. <laughs> so your website says our dorky curiosity drove us to scour the globe and learn how to design and manufacture packaging. Mm-hmm. Could you give me like a window into the process and how yeah. you learned yeah. the takeaways? That's a, that's a good one because it's like, you know, I have a background in industrial design and then also running product-based company, which is, which, and my co-founder is very tech savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one who like told me, for instance, about Kickstarter and when he told me about it, he was like, we should post this on Kickstarter. Um, I found this new website. And when we logged on in like mid-2009, Kickstarter was, had been on the internet for four months. Wow. Yeah. And it was just a, basically a page. And the front page wasn't even like filled like with projects. Like, like they it was were, barely yeah. a lot. So it was like really, really like just very, very, very early. So um, all of that to say that like um, I think how did we learn like slowly <laughs> would be one way I think of thinking of it. And I, and I share that just to mean that like no one um, on our founding team is like been in the packaging industry for 50 years mm. or something like that. But we learned <clears throat> hands on running our own company. And then the thing that I think people maybe appreciate less um, about the story is that um, even though the first company sounds very unrelated, like fabric dye, we were manufacturing a a pigment-based dye and manufacturing inks and um, learning a tremendous amount like at a very technical level about printing processes and custom packaging is different materials 
with different printing processes applied. I mean, that's what a, a box is, three layers of paper, like made together into corrugate, printed <clears throat> on a big flexographic printer, cut, that's a box. I mean, so, so you, by understanding deeply printing processes, mm -hmm. you're actually kind of a domain expert um, in packaging to an extent. Ah, so you sort of dove deeply before you kind of yeah, we knew so much going into this, mm. like from from the first company and from being industrial designers and knowing about printing and inks and stuff that like when we started exploring packaging, we, we just we were very quickly quite good at producing packaging and helping people buy it um, because of our background. It wasn't like premeditated, it just, you know, we had learned a lot as we went. Cool. That's a perfect yeah. leeway into my next question is. How do you advise to find niches and then how do you find problems in the industries? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think it's a really interesting um, question. There's um, the one of the founders of Y Combinator, uh, this guy Paul Graham, has some really mm -hmm. excellent essays online. Um, if you just search Paul Graham essays, you'll find them. Um, and, and I forget the name of this one, but it's something to the effect of like, where do, like looking for startup ideas or where do startup ideas come from? And he makes some really astute points <clears throat> that there's basically this concept that is very false that like startup people like sit in a room somewhere and like brainstorm, right? And they like, they mm -hmm. just like have a big whiteboard and there's like Cheetos and Red Bull and then they're like staying up really late and then Eureka, like idea, yeah. and then they start a business and happy ever after. Um, first of all, no business ever is happy ever after. <laughs> it's like, there's many like troughs of sorrow in between, but <clears throat> even for successful ones, but there's something more false about the concept that they just dreamed up the idea like that. And it is that the best startup ideas are like, um, like they creep up on you yeah. because you are living a certain way or trying to run a business. So in most company histories, uh, and this is totally glossed over in the press articles and in what gets written about these companies, but like usually people are trying to start one company and trying to do like one thing out in the world and it wasn't working <laughs> and so they kept like poking in further poking in further in the meantime they're talking to customers they're like trying to ship a product but not well and whatever and then they're like they figure something else out and whatever they whatever else they figured out becomes the kernel of the startup idea that ends up working or and that you end up seeing out in the universe um and there's, there's another quote i can use that kind of puts a crystal crystal point on that which is this guy Paul Bukite also part of Y Combinator uh, I'm going to paraphrase but he said something to the effect of like um, you know true innovators are not um, dreaming up the future and like sitting down and dreaming up the future is a very similar concept they are they've been living a certain way that in their brain the world is like there's so many steps ahead that what they're building is just um, what's missing in a future mm. world. Like they're already living in a certain version of the future and they're building what's missing. So I could use that to apply to myself. Like I was running a product-based company um, using all sorts of like really cool, like futuristic tools to run my business that have gotten really popular, like Stripe and Shopify and Square. And like, you know, we're such early users, like the concept that you could be outside at like a trade show and like swiping credit cards. Th these were new ideas relatively recently. But so like I was living in this future entrepreneurial world um, 
in, in trying to like push things forward in my business. And then it just became like the concept of like, why can't I buy great custom packaging online? Um, it was like, like it made no sense. Like it's like I like sometimes what we're building, it just seems obvious. Like mm. and and so I think that's something that some people miss when they're thinking up ideas. Is like they think they should find something that sounds like really innovative and really crazy. Well, let me scrape away all the press layers of Lumi. Like we are making it easier to buy packaging online. Before Lumi, you couldn't even buy custom printed tape online. It's just crazy. Like yeah. we're not how in it's how innovative is it? I mean, yes, there's certain we're doing plenty of other like more deeply innovative things with data and uh, mapping manufacturers and stuff. But like, mm-hmm. but the basics of like people should be able to buy custom tape online. Honestly, like it's just obvious, right? It's yeah. 2018. Like it's just obvious. So I think that I think um, people who are thinking about starting companies, like you, worry less about how like. Sound whether it sounds like the next big idea, almost nothing good sounds like the next big idea. Like, if I were to tell you two years ago, I'm gonna start selling printed tape online, do I sound like the next billionaire? It's it, no, but it, it's like a gateway to understanding a market, right? Um, and I think that stuff can be overlooked. And I think as uh, great points, I think we're all getting some golden nuggets from this, so thanks. And I think. Uh, Essentially, you got to be solving a problem, which yeah. you are. A lot of people, yeah. like you were saying earlier, like 10 to 15 suppliers yeah. uh, for just for packaging. And now you can just get it through one website and one company. Mm-hmm. So awesome yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> so let me dive a little bit into the creative process work, mm-hmm. especially in the shipping industry and in your industry. How do you, like, pun intended, how do you think outside the box? Is <laughs> yeah. there a formula? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean... Um, I think that um, running a company is a very like counterintuitive process, um, and you keep taking more and more risk. Um, to it's it, it's a there's a siren song, I guess, of um, when you're running a company of paying attention to your competitors uh, and trying to one up them or do just a little bit better than another packaging company or whatever. And the reason I call it a siren song is like. It's alluring. It's easy to get caught up in that stuff. But essentially, that is not the path to building, like, a really interesting company. Like, usually the path is you want to pay attention to those competitors in the market, but you want to pay more attention to what's, like, entirely missing. And mm. and you don't find out what's entirely missing by looking at what's out there. That might sound obvious. Right. But again, like, to repeat... You do not find out what is missing by looking at what's not missing, (laughs) which is your competitors and everything. They're already out there, right? It's not missing. So how do you find what is missing? Um, It's a little bit more of a creative process. And I think that um, a couple mechanisms we use at Lumi are, it sounds very basic, but spending spending as much time in the early days of, of, of a company with your customers as possible in their offices I mean for our in our case it's B2B so in their offices um, hanging out with them listening to their pain points this stuff um, how else do you learn like what is needed than by being like kind of one with your sort of like audience and customers and then and then we um, something else we do here at Lumi, I think, as part of our creative process is we try to show each other ideas as opposed to, like, explain them or, like, report on them. So mm. uh, this is powerful in the sense that, like, I think startups, time is very precious. You lose, if a picture is worth a thousand words, like, 
prototyping an idea or showing off uh, something that you think we should do internally um, by actually just making a little MVP version of it is worth like a million words. Like it's like you could endlessly pitch that idea and be like, I think we should do X and here's why. But one little example is like way more powerful. Uh, one little test. So um, that kind of experimentation, I think, is part of the creative process as well for a company. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah. I want to transition more into like your personal side. So mm-hmm. I recently read that you live across from work mm-hmm. in an Airstream trailer with your doggy Flexo. Mm-hmm. Is this true and why this lifestyle? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is true. What you read is accurate. Um, I have an Airstream trailer behind the office. I live in it. Um, I do have a dog named Flexo, and it's he's named after flexographic printing, um, which is the dominant printing process in packaging. Um, there's another printing process called lithographic printing, so if I had like a cat or another dog, <laughs> it could be Flexo and Litho. Um, but uh, I, I do this, um, why? I, there's a million reasons. I'm crazy, it would just be one dominant reason. Um, but I'm kind of joking, I think, I think that there's one simple reason which is really powerful to think about as an entrepreneur, um, which is like you wanna set your lifestyle up to be conducive to running your company and not going insane. Um, and, and I think it is an underappreciated aspect of entrepreneurship which is like learning how to master your own emotions your own lifestyle because who's gonna run the company if it isn't you like the the number one fail point of companies aside from running out of money is their founders kind of like like you know cracking up like like Mm. losing it like (laughs) you know and and i don't mean they like literally went insane but i mean like they gave up or they you know like um they didn't have enough conversations with their significant other about what this would be like or a million other variants of it didn't work for their lifestyle so you want to craft a lifestyle if you want to like kind of part of your strategy for running a company should be crafting a lifestyle that that makes it so you can keep running company and Mm. so for me um the simple fact of like i don't waste time in a commute um so i can spend time either running a company or when i'm not doing that stuff i can just be social i don't have a big house or apartment to take care of um don't waste money on a big house or apartment so um it's like i can afford to pay myself a reasonable salary at this point but um that wasn't always the case and um i Earlier in Lumi's history, like, I wanted to pay off my student loans. It was easier to do that by living in a trailer. Like, it's like, you want to... And why did I want to pay off my student loans? I mean, practically, it's a good practical thing to do. We all know that. But it's also, like, gives you peace of mind Hmm. to focus on your company. So it all wraps into one thing, right? Of, like, how do you set up your life so that you can effectively run a company? Um, I think that founders... Um, don't talk a lot about it because they don't have maybe you know talking about your personal life talking about personal finance isn't always um, something that people are open to so yeah I like it (laughs) that's like it's so eye-opening because like I've never thought of it that way I've you know I'm really into entrepreneurship um, and startups and a lot of people are hustling but it's like This is a different level of commitment that I've seen. So <laughs> I, I like it. a different level, yeah, yeah. But it's like, you you know, I'm sure you know people um, or you've seen, if you've seen people try to start businesses in different ways, um, depending on, you know, I, I 
the people you've seen, like some people, like let's say they had a good job and they decided to quit that job mm-hmm. to start a company, they should change their lifestyle a bit. Like, like I've seen people try to live the exact same lifestyle they were living when they were working a job for like, you know, a straight 40 hours a week and making like a great salary. And the reality is that life is over for you now. Like, it, like, <laughs> like you, you, you should make changes, not just because you should expect to be broke or something. It's not this like dismal thing, but it's just, it's sort of, um, it's not normal to make a huge life choice and change in your professional life and then expect nothing to change in your personal life. It's just not reasonable. Yeah. Adaptation. I like yes, that. Yes, yeah. So what kind of, you know, speaking on that, what mm-hmm. kind of culture exists in your organization? Yeah. Um, how did you establish this culture? And then w- w- why did you institute this particular type of culture? I think, um, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine from hearing me talk about some of this stuff, I try to keep a culture that's very down to earth, very mm-hmm. candid, um, meaning like, uh, again, back to startups don't have time to waste. Like, I don't have time for people to beat around the bush. Like, if you're unhappy, tell me if you're unhappy. If we need to solve a problem, tell me we need to solve a problem. Um, don't sit on it. Don't, like, we have a... There's actually a, a book that I'd recommend um, that's more recent um, that's called Radical Candor, and it's um, written by this woman, I, um, and, and she makes a great argument for how everything is more efficient in an organization if you can be radically candid about what you're thinking, even when it's negative. Not to hurt feelings, but just to be like hey, like, guess what? This is what's up, you know? So I think that we try to create a culture of that. Curiosity is a big um, cultural attribute that we look for. Um, So when you think of a startup's values and culture, uh, one way that someone shared this with me, an interesting way of thinking about it is it's the difference of what you expect someone to come in with and what you're willing to train them on. So Mm. curiosity... um, I'm an eternal optimist. Do I think you can train someone to be curious? Maybe. I don't have the time to do it at Lumi for a person who comes on. I, maybe it would take me two years to train someone to be curious. Do you know what's easier? Hiring someone that's curious? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can train someone on packaging. I can train someone on Salesforce and a CRM system. And, like, you know, I can train a lot of things. I don't want to train someone to be curious. doesn't mean I can't. I don't want to. So that's that needs to be something that we look for when we hire. So so yeah, I think I think it was just an interesting um, way of thinking about values. It's like the difference of what you are willing and not willing to train someone on, um, because values are like means that you expect them to come in with that. Um, and so yeah, curiosity is one of those things. Good taste is one of those things, and it's a super subjective, but um, it means like everything from. Just the way that people treat each other to, um, like, reasonable, good visual taste. Like, we run a pretty visual organization, so if someone, like, you know, like, looks at a crappy-looking box and a great-looking box, and they're like, I don't know, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> it's just, like, it doesn't make them a bad person, but it makes them a bad fit at Lumi, right? So, um, another, like, that's, like, a good taste and an eye for things is something that um, we can hone for someone, but we can't train it from scratch. Hmm. Um, so yeah, th- th- these are just some of the ways I think we think about our culture. And then, and then something else I think that you learn as as you grow um, into more employees is like, um, I think some people have a perception that culture like comes from the top down. Uh, it's just like the founder exudes it. It should be true. I mean, I definitely should be like a great prototype of our culture. But you learn that like, I mean, there's employees here who, even though I'm in the office. 
just at 30 people, roughly 30 people, they will barely see me over the course of a day. Like, mm. I'm here, they might see me, but it's like, they're not really getting the culture from me, they're getting it from whoever's sitting around them. Um, and so, like, culture is an everyone thing. Um, and that's um, both, like, exciting, because it means there's way more people, like, participating in it and building it, but it also um, means that, like, it's really important you hold those standards high and that no one in the organization is allowed to kind of, like, slip, so to speak, because the reality is that, you know... Um, you know, everyone learns from the people around them, not just from me. You know, mm. like there's, yeah. I think I read somewhere where it said where your weakest team player is like your strongest point. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. Yeah, it's like, you're, yeah, you're only as strong as your weakest yeah, link you type of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, that's the truth. It's like whoever has the worst culture in your team, like that's, you know, that's probably your culture. Like, it, like you, um, as much as you'd like to think it's like the strongest person mm-hmm. on your team. So you have to keep building people up who are uh, weaker or newer. I mean, it might not be weaker, but, like, maybe they're just newer. So yeah. they don't know everything yet. Um, or they make a mistake that they, you know, that you'd prefer they not make. And, like, so, again, it's it doesn't – I don't want to um, give the uh, perspective that we don't train people. It's just this concept of, like, you want people to come in with a base layer yeah. of the values that you think are important, and then you can build those up together. But if they don't have the base layer, it is um, – it means they should go work somewhere else. Like, it's like, this is something that might sound um, callous that I think you learn a bit, and it's it's really the same point, just elaborated, which is like, there are people who you find who are qualified, who you like, who you still should not hire, because they are not a good culture fit. And um, so it doesn't matter that you like them and that they are qualified and that they are smart. Like, that is not enough like what you need is someone who's going to come in the organization and really make a difference and like help build up others around them and stuff um and uh and so I've you know I've met people who I like they're qualified they're smart they're going to be great somewhere not here (laughs) like you just it's like this thing you realize like that person is going to do great somewhere else like because they just there's something about the way they are or a value that they're not as strong in that, that we prioritize that would just make them not fit in here you know um it's something that uh no company gets 100 percent right but yeah. you you're always trying it's so awesome to see this firsthand from like you know a founder such as yourself because i've always read this you know yeah. um you see this in the decks by sam altman yeah, and yeah. you just see it from the vcs that you know the team is so critical and the culture is so critical so Especially in, like, a startup so early on. Like, yeah. it's so cool to see that every player needs to be on their A-game. Yeah. Um, and they need to be aligned with the vision, and they, they, they continuously have to help the team grow. Yeah. Think about the math. Like, we're 30 people now, but, like, let's just make the math simple and go back to 20 people. Um, every single person is 5% of the company mathematically. Now, managers, directors, like, founders, you could argue, have, like, outsized influence. Mm-hmm. Um but what you learn is, like, it's um, it's true. Like, I get up in front of the Monday meetings or, like, people pay attention more to what I say. This stuff is true. But it's a little bit less than you'd think. Like, on a day-to-day basis, if there's 20 people in a room and, you know, that everyone is 5% of, like, the talking and 5% of the opinions and 5% of the emails that went out that day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like maybe you could think, like, oh, uh, me as a founder, I have, like, Maybe I'm not 5%, maybe I have like 30% of the influence. But 
it's a little bit fooling yourself because think about all the emails that went out from the company that day. Did I send 30% of them? No. I have probably 5%, probably more like, you know, I'm one of 20 people. Did I do 30% of the phone calls that day? No, probably 5%. So the, the whatever the, the world perceives of your company, like, I think you'd like to think you're this huge part of it and yeah, you're in the press articles and whatever, but it's all the people every day doing this stuff. I mean, that's how the world perceives you, you know? That's cool. That's yeah. like mind boggling. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for sharing that. This is so cool. Yeah. Like yeah. firsthand. Um, so speaking of culture out of all mm-hmm. the places, why Los Angeles for your headquarters? That's an interesting question. Um, it was, we definitely didn't consider other places. And I guess that is a little strange when you go through Y Combinator, a lot of companies stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, even when they come from somewhere else, they go through the program and they like stay. They fundraise and then they just stay in San Francisco for a while, if not forever. Mm-hmm. So we just never even considered that. We knew we were going there. We went there for three months and then we knew we were coming back. Um, I'm from the Detroit area originally. My co-founder is from Paris, France originally. So we have you know very different backgrounds and we've been living in LA for like 10 years basically I came here in 2008 so yeah 10 years um and uh I so simple answer is one I don't think we considered other places we were both living here but the more sophisticated answer is like this is a great place to start a company um this is like what especially you compare and contrast to San Francisco I mean you can hop on a hundred dollar flight and be in San Francisco and back in a single day or like an overnight trip and do fundraising meetings and whatever you need and then come back here and pay a third in rent and um, you know uh, have people have like a higher quality of life in terms of what they can afford to do um, with the with the salaries you're paying them um, and like there's plenty of startup energy here and there's also like more and more you know, venture capitalists, I mean, there's everyone from up front to, you know, there's a bunch of seed funds like Crosscut and Fika and all sorts of great things going on. So it's just like, it is, it is really like more and more of a misguided impression that the right place to start a company is San Francisco. It definitely is a hotbed. And that, that kind of like pressure cooker environment is cool. And I loved being like at my company for three months to sort of like get a taste of it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's several ways to give yourself like a taste of it and then and then start your company like here. <laughs> um, you know, this is like a great place to be for her. Um, and then there's so many industries here. Um, everything from like aerospace and you've got like I mean, you've got incredible universities from, you know, where you went to, like, everything from Caltech, USC. Like, there's just, it, it's, when you, like, list out what is going on in the Southern California region, industry-wise, you know, academically, um, the talent pool, the number of people, um, that's the other thing. San Francisco feels downright tiny when you spend time there if you're from L.A. because, um, I mean, there's 10x the population here. 10x yep. the population so so yeah like it's there's there's plenty of people to hire here you know like yeah. <laughs> it's like a big place right so um I, for all of those reasons um i i think it's like a great place to establish a company and then you were you know um, near downtown an industrial area uh, makes a lot of sense for our company but it's like la is like a choose your own adventure city could be by the beach you could be up in the mountains you could be you know um downtown or in hollywood like it's like 
whatever works for your company is like a place you could set up shop, you know? All within almost 30 minutes yeah. too, so, yeah. which is it's pretty wild. incredible. Yeah, it's wild. So, I, I mean, with all of those things, like, I just think um, another program essay is like something along the lines of like every city has um, like a DNA, I forget the title of the essay, and he talks about like, I think that the DNA of San Francisco at this point is like tech and um, startups and like ideas and so I think that the DNA that people think about LA is is not those things immediately which gives them like pause of like well shouldn't I just go to the epicenter kind right. of start my business but but it's um it's just sort of it's not necessary depending on you when you're starting a company you should always be thinking about where's the best place for my company and my yeah. idea um, and and Maybe San Francisco, like maybe San Francisco or something like it. I think everyone should keep an open mind. But um, I haven't met startup that I felt like in LA where I'm like, oh, that should be a San Francisco. Like it's there, everyone is thriving here that I meet. Hmm. And for for Lumi, I mean, we have the Los Angeles on Long Beach ports, mm-hmm. two of the biggest ports in the yes. U.S. Yeah, we're like in a supply chain like mecca here of like and also a bunch of packaging manufacturing is actually like in southern california even though we produce all over the world it's like yeah we're in a hot spot so um you know it's it's a great place to be in the whole country like it would be hard to find a better place to just be. driving here i think i was came through the city of vernon uh-huh. and it was just like boxes and containers trucks, yeah. and trucks mm-hmm. and it's like Wow, she's in the right place. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, I can totally tell Lumi's headquarters is upcoming somewhere around here. Yeah, exactly. So, so just wrapping up, um, mm-hmm. the last two questions. Um, mm-hmm. And this goes back to why I really started the podcast, um, yeah. to inspire people um, in my age group, so mm-hmm. in the 20s. Mm-hmm. So what's like a tangible advice you would give to people today in their 20s wanting to make an impact on the world? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great question. And I remember really, like, suffering a lot, I feel like, in my, like, early 20s of, like, figuring out, like, all the existential crises of, like, what should I do? Like, how should I get started? Um, like, it, it's, a, it's a very, like, first world and, like, kind of luxury problem to have to, like, think, like, I could do anything. What should I do? Um, and I don't mean that I, I certainly did not have all the money or time in the world or anything, but it's just, just the concept that we even get to ask that question is mm-hmm. very kind of cool, privileged question to ask after you graduate school or, or something like that. And, um, but I don't, but what I'm bringing attention to is, like, it's a very stressful question. It is, like, I think it's, um, it is hard like to figure out where to get started my advice um the one of the most basic pieces of advice i have is to get started meaning like um something i've talked about before is like i think there's this very misguided concept that um you can like do risk later um and that it will like get easier Mm -hmm. that's the misguided part so the concept of like I'll just get a job for like three years and try to save X amount. Then I'll feel stable enough to like try to do X. Mm. Um, The reality is in three years after you, even if you saved X, whatever X was, um, you're going to, it's going to be the exact opposite. You're going to feel like it, it's not enough because you'll be wiser to the world and you'll know that like that actually wasn't that much money and then and then you'll also feel like now you're on a real career path and you might be up for a promotion or whatever else and so you'll feel even less prone to mm. do the crazy thing um and so 
risk is like kind of a muscle and it's like if you're not exercising it um you shouldn't expect to like just be able to use that muscle later uh and so not everyone has a luxury or like opportunity to just drop everything and try something or whatever but there's always a way to experiment um even if it's like you know, um, in addition to a full-time job or in addition to like a way to kind of support yourself, but back to the support yourself thing, try to make supporting yourself as easy as you can, um, by not having expensive lifestyles so that you can take more risk. All of these things go together. Like Mm. if you make your lifestyle simple, then you can take more risk and, and essentially statistically, like something that humans get wrong is, um, they over, they they perceive risk as far more risky than it is. The reality is that like all of the starting a business risk, it like it's not like you're gonna get eaten by a bear or something. Like that's a risk, like, right? Like <laughs> like it's like if you rewind human history, like risk is like stepping out of a cave and getting eaten by a bear. Like you're not gonna get eaten by a bear if your startup fails, um, and or if you spend six months like sleeping on a friend's couch or something like these are not actually like that scary risks like it's it's sort of and so if you don't get started sooner you'll just find that you um what 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 happens when you get started sooner on whatever it is that you're interested in doing whether it's a startup or some other dream is that you learn all the finer points of what it takes to like live that lifestyle and to like you know soak yourself into it and and that's what will make you successful later is like the building up of like the knowledge and stuff so that's my, my, my biggest thing is just like get whatever it is, like take a stab at it. We all learn a lot from our failures. Um, give yourself the room to fail, like meaning if you expect that you're going to start your first company and just go to the moon and, and make a ton of money, like that's an irrational expectation. Yeah. Like so, but the, but the reality is if you, if you dream someday of like, doing that of like starting a fantastic incredible company and like taking it public or something um it won't happen by you like working a normal management job for 10 years and then deciding you want to do it i mean there's i i i hesitate to even say that because i'm not trying to knock any specific path but i'm just trying to use it as like an anecdote of like at least try to get yourself in a directionally correct um frame of life so you're learning as you go um and then, and because, because just to wrap that thought, like the concept of changing the world, like it's a, how do you change the world slowly? Like, it's like, like, I just think people feel like there's going to be like a pop and a sizzle and a firework will go off. And it's like, the world is different now. <laughs> um, my life is different now. Um, my company is huge. Like, uh, unfortunately it is slow. Like, it's like you at some point, Lumi, I want to be able to point to things that we did to quote unquote change the world. We're looking at a project right now um, for a brand where like we have the opportunity to take like, m- there's literally millions of this um, padded plastic bubble mailer that this brand uses every single month, millions every single month, and it's currently not recyclable and we're looking at making it fully recyclable. Um, and it's like, it, it would just, it's literally like metric tons of plastic that currently goes in landfills every single month that we could just fix and hmm. no longer. Um, and like that is really cool, like to me. And the concept that we could, that we could have like a very like actual, tangible, like environmental impact by doing that for one brand, but we could actually do it for thousands of brands. Yep. Um, you know, like 
play it forward and maybe at some point I'll be on a podcast talking about how we changed the world in that regard. Um, I don't get to talk about that yet. We're working on it, but it's like slow. Like you, you just, you don't, the world is big. You don't change it overnight. Like, yeah, you, <laughs> you gotta start from your own you gotta backyard. Build up. You gotta build up and then um, it almost sneaks up on you. Like at a certain point you can point at things and be like, I think I had a really big impact there. Um, but it is, it takes a long time. Nice. And then the last question here. So you just raised your Series A, I believe. Um, So it's been quite a journey. Um, What is your vision right now? And then what's sort of keeping you going for the next stage of Lumi? Yeah. Um, So my vision right now is um, to really fully deliver on our promise and and kind of mission that we've been discussing, which is make it um, much easier for modern brands to source and manage everything they need to launch their products. And the reason I really care about that is not just because like, that should be easier to buy packaging, like sure, that's the surface level, but to me, everything that you, anything that we can do to make it easier to launch products and actually get them out into the universe it means you've kind of like democratized access um to to these important tools that it takes to launch new ideas and and as a product designer and someone who really enjoys um like competition in the marketplace i think the world is inherently better when people with good ideas can launch those ideas Mm just kind of like I think that is cool like I think if someone has in, like invented shampoo that's like 100x better than all the other shampoos and it's more ethical and it's you know more organic and it's just the best shampoo ever um to me there's something really cool about playing a role in that shampoo like getting to market right like so that everyone can start washing their head with better shampoo um and it's like I just play a small part in that they invented the product they're doing the whole thing but that is inspiring to me and so like I want to keep delivering on that promise of whoever that new company is and that or it's an older company trying to launch a cool thing or do you know ship product to the extent that we make that easier um I want to keep delivering on that promise and using software to make that easier um and then and then when we think about the future um I think that the other side of Lumi, the big brands obviously get a lot of attention, but the other side of Lumi is that we are tapping into the world's heavy manufacturing base. Like, you know, boxes are made in plants that are like city blocks big. Um, you know, hundreds of people work in them that show up to work at like 6.30 in the morning or 5 in the morning to, to make boxes. Um, and I think that I like the fact that we actually have an impact on both sides. So revenue impact for the brands, making it easier for them to launch things and whatnot. But I think when I think long term, I think a lot about the other side too, like making it easier to run a manufacturing company because the right jobs um, and the right orders are coming to you um, and they're really well formatted and Lumi's routing them properly, uh, preventing mistakes, creating efficiency. Um, I think that's really inspiring too. It's like a two, uh, you know, you don't have boxes unless someone make, make, made them. Um, so there's really, you know, talented people making this stuff too. Awesome. Thanks so much. I see a bright yeah. future for Lumi. Um, <laughs> Thank thanks you. so much once again for having me here. Really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you as well. We really hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for joining us on this journey. 
please like us on Facebook at Vision of the People Podcast. And do give your thoughts to me at Lil Rushi Shaw on Twitter on who I should have next on the show. If you found this insightful or interesting, share it with someone that could find this helpful. As Mahatma Gandhi once said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. Till next time, keep striving. Thank you.